welcome to episode 133 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is David Elvey, Executive Consultant at VAS Solutions. David is an energy, utility, and IT executive with nearly 30 years of experience, including global positions based in Atlanta, Houston, Denver, Paris, Brussels, and in London. He's worked with major international firms, numerous energy and utility businesses, and multiple startups. His last three startups have all been named Gartner Cool Vendors. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. This year, Distributech will be returning to early February and also to glorious San Diego. It will be my first return to California since my wife and I moved and we are very excited. If you are going to be there, please say hi to me and to many of my former and future Climate Champions guests, including David L.V. As Executive Director at Vast Solutions, David provides the full life cycle of smart grid and customer engagement consulting services for electric, gas, and water utilities. From strategic planning through vendor procurement and program implementation, VAST listens to clients, understands their needs, solves their problems, and builds sustaining partnerships that help their clients succeed. Welcome to the Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm here with Dave LV. That's just LV, two letters, <laughs> executive consultant at VAS Solutions. I think just for the last two days or so. That's great. Dave, welcome to the Climate Champions. Thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure. It really, I've been admiring your work. I'm a, was a, a first time caller, long time listener. So um, <laughs> I really appreciate it. It's good to see you again. You too. You too, my friend. It's been a very long time for us. Mm -hmm. I feel like we met at a Distributech maybe like 20 years ago or something. Well, back then it was DADSM. Remember the, so it was, and they rebranded it as Distributech. So yeah, it's been that long, but um, I'm starting my 30th year as a young pup still in the industry. But yeah, it's probably been that long, Lee, 20 years. It's been a great rise. It's been a great rise. Seen a lot of change. Absolutely. And you did a lot of that change. Well, I think I rode some of the wave. I remember years ago when we had electromechanical meters and people walked around reading meters with a book in their hands or with a pen. Isn't that amazing? And, and we had meter to cash in a month or more. And now it's meter to cash in seconds. But yeah, I remember people writing reads down in a, in a book and making notes, bad dog in the, in the notebook. Well, I should hope you would remember that because that era lasted for over a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been very limited time that we've had yeah. anything but that. But hopefully we have some younger listeners, so they probably need to be reminded of how much change we've had in, in 20 years. Yes, I agree. <laughs> what was your motivating moment with regards to climate change when you felt you had to engage in helping to mitigate? 
there's more and more information coming out all the time. And, and certainly I, right now I was watching something about in the Middle East, you see the Euphrates River drying up. You see a friend of mine is actually taking the great loop around Southern Florida, all the way through Michigan and down the Mississippi. And they're struggling to get down the Mississippi River because it's so low. It's, it's not been that low in a long time. I think probably my first was when I went out to Nevada and went to Lake Mead and years ago, years ago, the lake levels were low. So I think that's been a big thing. But I think also just back when you were SDG&E, right? I mean, you guys were one of the very first to sound the alarm on carbon. And one of the reasons you did roll out smart metering and others was to help educate customers on how they can better use energy because we see examples all the time of, of how our climate's changing and, and how hopefully we can help mitigate that. So what personally motivates you to get up every day and work hard to help mitigate? For my kids, I guess, for future generations. I mean, we've, we've had life good and I want life to continue to be good for future generations. I, that's probably my biggest motivation. I just want to see this country continue to be great. And if we don't have water and clean electricity and other means of energy production, I think it's going it, to, it'll hurt future generations, help hurt our country, hurt our globe. And you mentioned this country, but it's so evident now Oh yeah, that we're one world and what affects one part of the world significantly affects other parts of the world. Very true. We, and I guess as Americans, we're very myopic about our, our approach, right? Looking at America, but certainly you're right. I mean, globally, I, I gave the example earlier, you know, about the Euphrates drying up. And then even in Europe, you're seeing rivers that are very, I mean, the drought that they've had has been almost catastrophic. Yeah. When you meet people that don't understand what's going on with regards to climate change, or they don't believe it, mm -hmm. how do you attempt to convince them otherwise? Well, I think you just present evidence of the examples I just gave. And if they don't believe that, you can Google, you'll see news stories popping up easily that, that talk about things like that. Again, I think I go back to, hey, you know, again, let's look at future generations. Without a doubt, temperatures are climbing, right? The evidence is pretty easy to find. And if I'm sitting with somebody, I can pull my phone in my pocket and show them pictures of lakes in, in the out west that are drying up. Why is that? It's hard to dispute that. I'm here in the Pacific Northwest, and I was doing an open mic stand-up routine in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And I was doing it on climate change. I was trying to be funny with climate change, and I opened up by saying, I'm a climate change mitigator. And I thought there'd be like dead silence when I said that. Well, they clap or something? Yeah. yeah, they clapped. Well, they clapped, they clapped. Yeah. <laughs> And that I was like, that doesn't really fit in with my routine, because then I wanted to say, I don't get invited to many parties. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't say it right then, because everybody clapped. For sure. I mean, look, last time I talked to you, we were talking a little bit about how Governor Newsom was on TV saying, hey, please reduce your load from this time because of the blackouts and brownouts. And then you have to explain to customers and friends and family why these brownouts are happening and because of changing over to renewable energy and why are we doing so it's becoming an easier conversation to have because it gets a in your face on the news it's more prevalent i don't necessarily think that brownouts are because of renewables no 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 i'm not saying that. i'm just saying it, it's, it brings the the whole concept of energy to top of mind is what i'm trying to say Sure, we can build a lot more generation and a lot more wires and mm -hmm. have a very, very expensive system and not have brownouts. Yeah. But I don't think anybody's willing to pay for that. People are complaining as it is. That's the difficult part of the conversation 
truly is, is when you're talking to folks who are saying, hey, why is the government paying for this? Why are taxpayers paying for this? That's the part of the conversation that I get involved in most when people push back. A lot of folks are saying, hey, I love solar. I love, I get it. I understand that we need it, but why am I paying for it? Is it equitable as to how it's being rolled out from a financial standpoint across the customer base and across the, across the globe, but across the, um, the taxpayers? I'm scared to get into that conversation because I did feel guilty as somebody that has more money Mm -hmm. and my own home, I was able to install solar Mm -hmm. and knock my bill down to near zero each year Mm -hmm. and have a four or five year payback when some people less fortunate in San Diego had their rates go up. Some of that was because I was no longer paying for the infrastructure. Some of it was for a lot of other reasons. Yeah. And honestly, like I just said, I think that's the hardest part of the conversation is because I honestly think and I think most people believe that there's a curve for renewable energy and it's getting less expensive, you know, per kilowatt hour. Over time, it'll cont- I think it will continue to get less expensive. We'll get better at it. We'll get smarter at it. We'll be more efficient in deploying it. And that's going to happen. It continues to happen over time. But are we there today? I mean, you could argue it depends. You know, I'm, I'm originally from Michigan and, you know, in certain parts of the year, and this is an undisputed fact, if you're in Western Michigan in November, there are months in, that you get 5% possible sunshine. Okay. So solar may not be the right application there. It could be wind though. The wind blows pretty, pretty regularly there. I always say all arrows in the quiver. We need it all. All arrows in the quiver. Yeah. Which was really cool though, Lee, is they have pump storage in Michigan. They pump water uphill off Lake Michigan, fill up a small lake up the hill. And you know what pump storage is. They drain it during the day when they're generating electricity. So like you said, all arrows in the quiver, that's a great arrow in the quiver. And it's in a state like Michigan's perfect for that because there's lakes, water everywhere. When I say that I felt guilty about the solar, I felt like I was really helping and I know I was helping. Mm -hmm. But I also, from a financial perspective, felt guilty. I do think that ultimately we need to figure that out as a society. If the people with money are going to save money, but the people that have less aren't, there needs to be some way to balance that. And I don't have the answer. One of the things I always wonder is, do we have a thoroughly vetted, comprehensive energy policy or plan for this country? And that's the thing I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, and we may disagree on this, is that I think there's a place for nuclear power. And if we don't agree, I can tell you there's a lot of people who do agree that nuclear has a place in a renewable portfolio. That's an arrow in the quiver, if you will. But where do you place, how do you cite nuclear and then, you know, and even even hydro? I don't know how, when the last time we built a significant dam, I mean, because I know in the Southeast, Tennessee and you know, has a lot of hydro, okay, from the TVA and we have some in North Georgia you know, that run specific generating plants in North Georgia. But I don't know when's the last time we cited a major hydro generation station. Do you? I don't. I do want to respond to your comments about okay. nuclear. Please do. <laughs> so I believe all arrows in the quiver. I don't believe in building something that could blow up and destroy humanity, but I don't think nuclear is there. I think nuclear has come a very long way, yeah. especially small modular reactors. That's an opportunity to have non-weaponizable material, mm-hmm. use current waste product and generate electricity in a safe, extremely clean way. I'm super mm-hmm. excited about that. Right. So, I, okay. So I, do we agree or disagree? 
So we agree. We agree. <laughs> That's great. I my my father was a physics professor, and and he grew he graduated from boot camp on VE Day, nineteen forty five, and he he went to his grave as a very strong proponent of nuclear power for generating electricity, right? Although he did say, just as a side note, that he thought the bomb saved his life because he was on his way to the Pacific Theater at that time. But again, we can agree or disagree on that. But for certainly for generating electricity, he was a big proponent of that. And it's been around a while. Uh, I got to think between the last time we built a power plant, well, right now we're building one in Georgia, I guess you know all about yes. Plant Vogel. And, and again, it's been a huge, it's been in the news. It's given a black eye for a lot to nuclear power because of the cost overruns. Yes. But, you know, you got to think that before we hadn't built a power plant, a nuclear plant in what, 30 years, a christened a plant in 30 years. And you got to think that technology, the safety and everything else has been enhanced over 30 years. So um, anyways, but again, I think that's another arrow in the quiver from, from my standpoint, for a great base load and relatively clean energy. Yeah. Price matters though. Sure. Price matters. And if sure, they can't sure. get the price reasonable, then I don't think that's a strong arrow, especially mm -hmm. when solar is so cheap and if you don't have a high percentage on your grid then you can put it on and not worry about what it's doing to the yeah. grid it's just low cost energy yeah i think i think though we have to realize too that that storage is is going to be key here right and then that's that's the um and i do have some concerns about lithium and how we mine it how we maintain it how we retire it if you will and what what are we doing? You know, we're getting a lot of our lithium from China, a lot of from from Africa. And are we getting it sustainably? Are we getting it responsibly? I just don't know enough about. You know, I think storage is is actually going to be is to maintain the grid in in a solar environment. It's going to be really important. So it is important. I agree. Storage is incredibly important, especially long-term storage, sure. which I don't think we've seen a good solution for that, that's, yet. That's, that's right. I agree. I think we agree that I don't, I don't know that we've seen a good long-term solution for storage. But with regards to lithium mining, it is a problem, but it's so much less a problem than drilling for oil. Oh, yeah. No, again, oh, I, I, has. I know. I'm, I'm just trying to throw it out that, you know, the, because again, you know, we're, we're having this conversation, we cut out this conversation kind of like, when you run into your friends and they start talking because you know they know I'm in the energy space, your friends know you're in the energy space, and that's one of the first questions that comes up. And so, and, and this is what what we get pushed back on, right? And so, yeah, that, just, that's why I was want to get the answer out there. Yeah, exactly. It's still much exactly. better than ice internal combustion engine vehicles. Sure, sure. Still sure. much cleaner than. We don't that want to go backwards, right? Environmental yeah. impact. We want to go that. responsibly forward. Is what we're looking to do. And what's amazing is we can get off lithium over time. And so that solution has a great runway to continue to improve. Yeah. I mean, so again, whether you, you site in lithium and over time we can build in other storage, it, we still have to build the infrastructure and the storage facilities and whether we can replace that storage with another technology. That's exciting. That, that's, there's the opportunity there. And again, we've, as a global environment and as, and as a country, we've, we've scaled some pretty significant hurdles over the years, and we figured out ways around it. And I'm, I'm convinced that we will. So talk about what you do at VAS, what you do as an executive consultant, yeah. how do you add value to this problem? Going kind of downstream a little bit, I think a nearer term issue I'm concerned about, frankly, is we're going to see lots of increases in natural gas prices which culminates in higher electricity prices. And we've talked a little bit about water. I'm, I'm concerned about 
I've been out, I spent some time out west in Arizona recently, and utilities out there are very concerned about the water issue and energy prices going up. And I'm concerned about that. And I've seen in Georgia, where I am in Atlanta, doubling of natural gas prices because we are a retail state. You're seeing increases in Texas. What I'm concerned about is, are we going to run into an issue where customers aren't going to be able to pay their bills? And, and there's a very famous study out there that you know, 40% of U.S. customer households can't afford an unanticipated $400 bill. Or another one where 20 million homes are already behind on their utility bills. So near term, I'm a little concerned about, you know, how are customers going to pay for this? Are we going to see arrearages on a customer accounts similar to what we saw during the COVID periods? We'd see you had utilities that had those arrearages that sometimes averaged around $1,000 of bills that they couldn't pay. That's one of the things I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about. And this is more near term. Part of what I'm what I'm trying to, to do is is kind of evangelize, you know, how do we help customers in terms of getting a better view on what they're using in terms of water and how they how can they get it better conserve and we how we limit the impact of these higher prices and lack of water resources. So and then besides that, and you know, you're looking at with EVs and a proliferation of DER, a, a news story came out the other day that to charge some of these, you know, there's tractor trailers are talking about at a, a pilot gas station, whatever, that's the same load as it is for a small city. And you're putting this in a um, gas station kind of facility. So, I mean, you know, how do we manage that? So we're trying to reduce load, but then we're adding load. And then, you know, customers are shifting from one population center to the other. And that's one thing we saw with COVID, kind of the COVID migration. A lot of the small towns are getting influxes of people. A lot of some parts of the country are getting influxes of people while they're still trying to reduce load, reduce their carbon footprint. I got a call from um, a customer of mine, an investor-owned utility. She says, Dave, how, you know, how you doing? I'm doing? I said, how are you? And she said, well, I get a call every week from an investor-owned utility saying, how are we going to meet our carbon reduction mandates? Especially when I've got an influx of people moving to my state, I got to pull out more EV charging stations. How are we going to do this? So going back to your question, Lee, my role is quite clear is, you know, how do I help customers with their customers be more visible in usage, have the better ability to look at what they're using and conserve while they're still trying to raise their kids and being good caregivers of our planet. 20 years ago, when we were in this business, there wasn't as much going on. There's a lot going on now. I'm, I'm really enjoying just parachuting into some of these utilities and, and helping them kind of sort through all the different issues I just went through. Can you talk a bit about your prior background? We talked. We joked earlier. I've been in business for thirty years. A lot of it's been in the in the metering space, and it's water, gas, and electric measurement, if you will. So I've always kind of been, you know, whether it's water meters being in a pit or you know gas meter, you know, in, in the gas industry, it's all about you know safety and electricity. A lot of it's about res resiliency, and and so I've been in that space for a long time, and then really in the IT space which kind of, you know, layers on top of that because we've added a lot of technology and, and technology onto to measurement. That's really been what I've been doing for, for years. And then most recently I was in, in the billing and payments area where you interact with your customers as a utility. There's that old, I think Accenture study that says you interact with them seven minutes a year, but almost all that is based on paying your bill. Uh, if you're a postpay customer, you pay once a month, hopefully. If you're on prepay, you pay it four times a month. You pay it once a week. 
And so that's where a great time to interact with your customer. It's an opportunity because you're interacting with your customer. And what else can you do when you hit, when you're getting that customer's attention is talk about with them how much you know what they're using, how much they're using, how they can use it better. Can they use it at a different time of day? Those types of things. Those are great opportunities to to talk to your customers. And then I think one of the things that's changed a lot. Ask me what I've what I've been doing. I've been more focused on working with utilities on their customer satisfaction or customer experience. Years ago, when I was in the industry, customer satisfaction wasn't something that a lot of utilities talk about. Now, every utility talks about customer sat numbers. They get judged by JD Power. There are a lot of executives, Lee, as you know, part of their compensation of making their what's called making their their numbers or. Uh, they're being judged at the end of the year is, is what the customer sat numbers are. And you see folks like SRP, the latest round of JD Power scores came out leading their group. And then there are others looking at them, trying to knock them off. A Georgia Power was very scored very high this year in, in, in their JD Power scores. And that means a lot. Part of that is how they're managing customer experience, You know, whether it's helping customers make, make better buying decisions or looking at things like outages. It's funny, I, I was talking the other day, I gave a presentation the other day you and I keep joking about the same thing. Going back, we've been in the industry 20 or 30 years. You know, when we were kids, Lee, if we lost power and we were a 12-year-old, okay, what did we do? We'd go outside and throw the football around. or Most of the time, we were already outside. Or, or, the or we were already outside. <laughs> we, we'd ride our bikes up to the convenience store and buy some candy or whatever. Kids today, when I lose power at my house, they're in my car charging their iPads. <laughs> And so I would, my argument is, I think power resiliency and is even more important. Everything in your house is powered, you know, is, is using Wi-Fi, for example. You can't work because people are working at home. So, I mean, power becomes more and more important to the family, to the home, whatever, to the, the folks working at home. That's something that customers are demanding is they got to have, we got to have, if we don't have power, I, I get people, my kids scream at me like it's my fault, you know? Dad, what are we going to do? One a funny story about that too is is you know going back to outages and um, my sister-in-law. This is this is a great example of technology today at the forefront. Is when she told me because hey, I she ran out, her power went out and she got a text or uh, actually a push notification to her mobile app and said, hey, we think your power will be back on. You know, they don't they don't by the way they don't use the term mean time to restore. Okay. They told her, we think by 2 p.m. you will have your power back on. This was like on a Wednesday. So she and her husband went up to a restaurant had a couple glasses of wine. Well, they got on social media and said, hey, the neighborhood's out. We see there's a tree down. Let's all meet up at this bar. And they did. They all, like 10 of her neighbors. They had a great time. She got a message, hey, your power's been restored. Okay. And here's the best part. So she walks in the front door and says, this is the most fun I ever had during an outage. <laughs> okay. Which is a great story, you know, because again, we talk about customer, the customer sat numbers will be bigger, you know, it impacts customer sat, but that's a happy customer. And it's a great story because it takes in all the technology and, you know, the IT and OT that makes all that run. And then the social media aspect, the push notifications, it's a happy customer. When we implemented notification of outages mm -hmm. using technology, both internally and externally, people made fun of San Diego Gas and Electric <laughs> because they said their power's out. How can they possibly read what you're sending them? 
and they couldn't conceive because it was earlier in the cell phone revolution. Right, right. But we knew what was coming. So yeah. during the big outage in 2003, our COO and president, Mike Nigley, actually went on cameras. I don't want to say TV. Yeah, he went yeah. on video and explained exactly what was happening and what we were doing about it. And people were thinking nobody could view it, but everybody was viewing it because yeah, they were yeah. using their phones to do it. And it was an amazing way to communicate. And we picked up an incredible number of Twitter followers, actually, yeah, during right, that time. Right, right. And nowadays, it's commonplace where you're told you have an outage, the power's back up, mm -hmm. and you can prepare for it. You could deal with it. But that's the thing. If you know it's going to be four or five or six hours, you can go run five or six hours of errands to go somewhere else. If you just don't have any clue how long it's going to be, you, you don't know if it's going to be five minutes or it's going to be. I had one in Atlanta. If some of your, your listeners will remember, we had an outage for three days. We had this ice storm, uh, ice ageddon or whatever they would call it. And we didn't know how long power was going to be out. These are just great examples, I think, of how technology over the years has you know, benefited the customer. It's, and it's a win-win for the utility and it's a win-win, you know, including for the customer. You asked me again what, I, what I'm trying to do as a consultant. I love stories like that. I really like help, helping customers realize those solutions and make it happen. It's kind of fun to do that, fixing problems, you know? What success are you most proud of? My previous company, uh, Pega, we're implementing a, a solution for a utility now where they're going to do hourly bill calculations. So they, they're getting a read every hour from the AMI vendor. And they know, for you could go out and wash your car and you know how much power or water you used. Would that, isn't that cool? I mean, you know that, that washing that car actually costs you 38 cents. And if we're really truly concerned about conservation and energy efficiency and reducing load and changing our patterns of usage, then the customer needs to know. That's really impactful when a customer knows what they use. And it doesn't need necessarily be hourly, but you'd be amazed or like customers who don't even know what they're using on a daily basis. I know the program that Georgia Power had, I was, I'd get a text message and said, hey, Dave, you used $8.50 yesterday. I'm like, wow, $8.50. That's a big number for, say, April. I would go around my house and literally make sure that my thermostats were set on the right schedule. Or my kids were home, my girls were home, maybe unplugging curling irons. I mean, I literally went around the house <laughs> and turned lights off and things like that because I was notified on a daily basis. Problem is, if you're notified on a monthly basis, which is where most people are, they'll get a $350 bill, but they don't really know why. Probably the best example that we see in a call center is usually right today. Today's the 2nd of December. Okay. We just went through the last week of Thanksgiving. This week right here is usually a pretty tough week, a consistently busy week for call centers. Why is that? Well, because what happened is everybody went home for Thanksgiving. People were spending more time at home and less in the office. And then the temperatures start to cool off this time of year. So this week, you, you might get a bill from Thanksgiving and that first cold set there's cold wave that comes through. And so what happens, you get the $300 bill from your utility. And what happens, you call the call center and say, why do I get this big bill? What's great about it is you can go, you can show, go back and show the customer their daily usage. Or you could say, hey, sign up for this program and we'll tell you when you're using more than you anticipate. So you won't get that sticker shock. Uh, we did a project at Duke Energy where customers were getting notified and the customers, they loved it. They loved the idea that they were 
being told that their energy usage was above what they anticipated. And so they could make better energy buying decisions based on, you know, whether it was time of day or they just realized they were using too much. You know, you asked me what my, I think my biggest accomplishment was, I think is, is really providing that type of information to customers that they can make better decisions. And I think part, and then layered on top of that is making payments easier to access. Because nowadays you can literally just, you get a, you can get a text message that says, you know, Lee used $300 this month and you can just go on there and click, do you want to pay your bill now? Yes. Just say yes. Just, just confirm and your bill's paid. Customers love that kind of stuff. They, they like to be out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. And they like to use technology. And, and uh, in the meantime, they're being educated about their use of energy. Couldn't do, couldn't do that 20 or 30 years ago, for sure. None of this stuff. Using a combination of rainforest technology and Bidgely, I think was the name of the company. I used to be able to see a graph of my energy usage in real time. Yeah, yeah. That's because cool, real. the rainforest piece of hardware would talk using Zigbee to yeah, my Zig meter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. But then Bidgely stopped providing that to customers. So We used to call it the Prius effect, you know, and, you, you know, and, and I, if you've driven, driven, driven a Prius, even in my car, it tells me in real time my miles per gallon. And what, what I find as soon as I, you know, years ago, I kind of, you know, caught onto this. I mean, I, it was fun. I would drive to the store and see if I could get 30 miles to the gallon is, is I'd set a goal of 30 miles a gallon or 45 miles a gallon, but that involved coasting the stop signs, not slamming the, the gas pedal down, leaving the stop sign. That's something I would do. And I think, you know, what would be, you know, and I think we're starting to get folks to do that with energy as well. I think you, I get a home energy report. Uh, I see how I'm doing versus my neighbors versus last month and versus a year ago. And then I send that report out to my kids and my wife and, and I say, here's our scorecard for the month. And we failed miserably. And and I go around the house and, and reset my thermostats again because they've been overridden so many times. That's the world I live in. And, and, I, and I try to evangelize that to other people. Can you talk about your vision for the planet over the next 20, 30 years? Is the planet going to be fine with regards to climate change? Boy, I wish I, I, wish I could. Uh, I had a crystal ball to say. I do, you know, I mean, listen, I do think, and you have to admit that climate change, energy use, I mean, you know, being more efficient is a much more top of mind, as we talked about earlier, than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I think part of it is you're seeing elementary school students are being taught more about that. We weren't taught this in elementary school. We really weren't, and at least when I was, was there. My concern just is whether we're going to make it in time. Like it's a long journey and a lot of reduction has to be done. It does. And so I think, again, I think part of it's education. Okay. I think part of it is, is having a energy policy that's not only for our country, but I think, you know, it's certainly in concert with other countries. Because, you know, as much of an offender as we are in this country, there are other countries that are as much, or if not more, are worse offenders than we are as far as carbon per capita. So I do have hope, Lee. And I said this earlier, I think, you know, uh, renewable energy is getting cheaper per kilowatt hour. So I think that's going to be helpful. And coupling that with education and policies that I think that are conducive will be really helpful. 30 years from now, will we, you know, I, I can't really say it, but I, I do feel like, you know, we'll be better off. This 30 years will be better than the last 30 years for sure. Maybe that's not saying a lot, but I think it's helpful. But I don't think there'll be less hurricanes or less heat waves. No, 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 I, I, I don't either. But 
you know, maybe if we can make some dent in that, the hurricanes won't be quite as strong. When you mentioned education, what it made me think of is that when I say all arrows in the quiver, mm-hmm. I also mean education and policy yeah. and companies taking an active role as well as government and people doing things, not only technology. Yeah, no, I agree. And with storage is one of those things too, is, is that it's, I mean, you see some really interesting investments startup companies and others that are that are really looking hard at storage but again it's really part of that whole policy it's a whole energy architecture if you will that we need i think that's i think it's somewhat missing some states are better than others or are more on it than others but again every state seems to have its own rules you know what advice do you have for people that want to make a difference with regards to climate change i mean get involved you know i'm at a very micro level have some technologies in my home. I can make use of tools that are provided to me by my utilities, get involved, have those conversations, you know, educate yourself so you can have a conversation with your neighbors and friends and family about why they should get involved. Jump in and get involved. Too many people say, Hey, you know, I'm only one person. I only have one home. I, how can I make an impact? And I think, you know, if, if you have that mindset, you'll never get off the dime, right? Educate yourself, get involved, educate other folks, Use the tools that are provided for you and you know, make an impact. Not everyone can be in my position or your position of being in the energy space. I mean, you got, we got folks that have to be in the healthcare space. We have folks that have to be in other industries, finance and others. We should look to these other industries and say, hey, here's how we're making it. We have to be evangelists to these other folks. Can't all be in this space at the same time. Do you have any questions for me? You, when we were talking earlier, you've done what 130 of these podcasts, something like that. I mean, at least, at least, besides all the other conversations that you, you, you asked me, how how are we doing? Yeah, I think you have more insight than I do because you you've been talking to so many more people and asking leaders in the energy space, how how are we? What is your crystal ball? How are we gonna, how are we doing? You said it correctly that the energy space is moving faster than it ever has before. I think the big concern is that as fast as we might now be moving, it's still not fast. Like regular technology moves really Mm -hmm. fast. And we probably need really, really, really fast. If we're going to truly reduce the impact of hurricanes, for example, and droughts, we need to move a lot faster than we're moving. So how do, how do we, how do we do that? I mean, you mentioned education. I mean, how, how can, how can, I guess the people watching, how can the individual help impact? How can we push the ball forward more quickly? Hey, who's the host here? <laughs> we well, asked me if I had any questions. I, those are my questions. Look, I don't feel like I'm doing a good enough job, but I, I, I have this podcast. I'm spending tons of time mm-hmm. advising companies. I'm on their advisory boards and boards. I am trying very hard, but I don't think I'm doing enough personally. I'm starting to invest my money in companies that are trying to make a big difference. I guess a personal all arrows in the quiver. What can I do? Everybody's different, but do what you can do. Probably number one, I don't want to talk about the political spectrum, yeah. but I want to say we need politicians that at least understand we have a problem yeah. and are willing to do something well, about you it. You something. Again, I'll, I'll take the mantle back. So, you know, I've done the same. I've invested in a couple, several companies in in this space, and you know, one was a data analytics firm, one was this, you know, billing and payments firm, Pago, uh, consulting firm in the energy space, right? So, I mean, you know, I'm doing what I can 
and it's in even investing my own dollars into this space, certainly a lot of my own time and my own evangelism in this space. But again, I'm, I'm not sure I'm doing enough. So I, it's one of the reasons I'm, you know, I'm really excited, frankly, about getting back in the consulting space, because I think I, I'm hoping I can help landing in some of these utilities and, and helping them achieve some of these goals and, and, and spreading this, the word, you know. Here's something a buddy of mine, Tim Sassine, told me just yesterday. We were on a call. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this company, Pi Energy. Okay. They make a thin solar product that's amazing. It's made in the USA, so there's no supply chain issues. I love this technology. Mm. It, it's world changing. Mm. And like any startup, they have issues. They're always battling issues, and yet they have such incredible potential. And I told him I'm spending a lot more time with them, and I'm not sure that I should be spending so much time with one company. But he said, Lee, if they succeed, it's world changing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I said, yes. Yeah. He said, if they go out of business, you'll be super sad, right? <laughs> I said, yes. Yeah. He said, so put that time in, Lee, and it makes me doubt whether I'm putting enough time yeah. in. Yeah. I, I've, again, I've been torn. I, I've had several opportunities to, to get more involved in other startups and other companies. And, and again, it's sad that you don't have enough time, but you know what? As we get older, we got to finish well. They always say, you, you don't stop. You got to finish well. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Finish well. And on that note of some great advice, I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. What made you want to become a climate mitigation giver is that you started seeing the drying up of many a river and you agree with me. We need all arrows in the quiver. EVs might increase electricity, but they reduce oil leaders of your 30 years of experience a lot of them were in meters (laughs) you have to communicate with customers if you want to get traction and executives better listen because they need customer satisfaction your kids they can't even do an hour without their ipad they need power If you want to reduce your energy usage from max to min, you need technology for the customer because it brings a win-win. We need education to get the problem solved. Find a way to make an impact. Just get involved. It's very important. Reduce energy. Thank you so much for talking to me. I loved having you on the Climate Champions, Dave L.V. Wow, that's fabulous. Fabulous. <laughs> that's really great. This is just my pleasure. This is a lot of fun. It was great to catch up with David and talk about the journey meter technology has taken and is taking. For over a hundred years, meters were mechanical and could only measure the net energy entering or exiting, I guess, a premise. Hence the term net metering, NEM. The more advanced meters being used today can detect how much energy goes in or out, when, they help detect outages quicker than ever before, and they enable companies like Pago, David's last company, that gives the customer the opportunity to prepay their energy bills. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website 
at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe. Rate it five stars if you're an Apple user and tell your climate concerned friends about it. David and I both shared that we don't know whether we're doing enough to help, but his advice was great. Don't stop, finish well. Finish well and do what you can to help mitigate climate change. Mm-hmm.